Women in White Coats is here to uplift women doctors just like you. Empowering you in your personal and professional life. I'm Dr. Amber Robbins. And I'm Dr. Archana Shrestha. We are doctors, best-selling authors, and the co-founders of Women in White Coats. Now, are you ready for a culture shift where women empower women? Join us to get a glimpse of what life is like as a woman doc. And guess what? You'll discover that you're not alone. We're here to give you positivity and keys to balancing your life. This is the Women in White Coats podcast. Hi, Sister Doc. Are you feeling overwhelmed and exhausted? Are you experiencing burnout or on the verge of it? Are you thinking about leaving medicine but beating yourself up for even considering it? Or perhaps you're feeling unappreciated and undervalued or even like an imposter. Or maybe you just can't ever seem to find work-life balance as a woman doc. We want you to know that you are not alone. And that's why we created our Women in White Coats Wellness and Empowerment Virtual Summit as we take you from burning out to burning bright in our five-day live event to move you from exhausted and overwhelmed to competent and balanced in your life and career. This free virtual summit runs from Monday, August 30th through Friday, September 3rd, 2021. You'll get to be a part of live workshops, life coaching, and virtual happy hours. If you are ready to feel uplifted and empowered as you connect with your fellow sister docs, head on over to womeninwhitecoats.com forward slash summit to learn more. We can't wait to connect with you there. Hello, welcome to the Women in White Coats podcast. I'm Dr. Marian McCrary, co-host for the podcast and a writer's fellow at Women in White Coats. And today I'm so excited to speak to one of my um, colleagues in medicine, Dr. Lee Wo. And she is an OBGYN in California, and she's also a life coach. And she honored us by being a guest author on the Women in White Coats blog recently. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Marian. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. This is my first podcast. So I'm very, very excited and happy to be here. It is exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I think um, our listeners are going to come away with such wonderful information. So you wrote an article called What's in a Name? Would you tell our listeners a little bit about that article? Yes, I'd be happy to. So I immigrated to the U.S. when I was about eight years old. Um, My parents felt my name sounded English or American enough to phonetically to translate from the Chinese name. So the spelling is L-I-C-H-U-N. That's the first name. And then my last name is H-U-O. And so I, um, through the years in school, I think that when people first see the name, your first thought might be, hey, how do you pronounce that? Or what kind of funny name is that? Um, Your thought most likely will not be, oh, what a pretty name. (laughs) What an interesting name, right? So while my parents, and I will get to that later, it's meaning picked the name meticulously and, you know, chose my name with care and hope that they have for the future generation. 
it really has been reduced to a cacophony of like silverware being thrown at, at each other in English. And so I just distinctly remember um, during my school years, I dreaded the first day of school because every teacher will probably, they do, not probably, they did <laughs> mispronounce my name. And uh, it's usually followed by a lot of snickering and laughing from the classmates. And then as I progressed through middle school and high school, there would literally be male teacher who would make fun of the name. Um, so my last name is pronounced Huo, like Huo with an H. They would go, ho, 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 like Santa Claus. And of course, what does that do? That gets laughs from the class, but that just made me feel small and wanted to fall into this hole in the ground if there was one. And I just remember, there was a lot of insecurity surrounding my name, um, the way it's being pronounced. And then not only because it's a funny sounding name, but it was affiliated with the Asian race, obviously, because there was a lot of um, sort of racial remarks that were made to me that's besides my name itself. Um, you know, the whole, the eye squinting thing, you know, you look funny, uh, go back to your own country, blah, blah, blah. And so the name really brings a lot of that up with, with these sort of um, comments based on my race. And I remember in middle school, I don't know why, but I decided I'm not, that's not gonna be my name. I'm just gonna have people call me April. Don't ask me why I decided April. I think she was, I think she was someone I knew who was really popular, who was Caucasian, who had a lot of, got a lot of attention from boys and girls. And I decided that's what I wanted my name to be. But of course I didn't stick because people kind of made fun of me for that. What do you mean your name is April? And then so in high school, I finally decided on the first day of school that as every um, teacher struggled to pronounce my name, my first name, Lee Chin, I would say, no, nope, just Lee. And that, so I dropped the chin part, if you will. And then I just went by Lee, but on my papers, on every single paper that I write, the Lee is L-E-E -E and not L-I. Again, it's the Americanized version of my, that's equivalent to my phonetically, if you will, that's spelled out loud originally. So by the time I went to college, though, let me tell you, I was so happy to be in a classroom of a thousand people sitting in a lecture hall of a thousand people. Why? Because no one had to call my name out loud. No one. I was just a number and I was happy about that and I can move on finally, right? And then as I um, entered medical school and residency, obviously I found myself confidence and I would correct people. Um, if they didn't pronounce my name right. Um, and it just, um, I was very matter of fact about it. But I think that um, being made to feel small because of your name and then there's an affiliation with a race that's, um, that feels like the others, if you will, um, does have some detrimental effects, um, definitely. And I think I encounter this as I, through work, not so much in social setting once in a while, but definitely through work. Um, and all I just have to say is, you know, I would love it if one day someone asked me like, oh, out of curiosity, what does your name mean? That's, that's interesting. And so um, I'm here to tell you, right? Because in America, when our name has been translated, we don't know its roots. So someone, with the last name of Lee, L-E-E, you know, maybe affiliated with the Civil War general, I don't know, Washington, there might be affiliation. There's generations of history. So my last name coming in, Huo, no one would know what that means here in this country. It just sounds like a funny name, funny looking name, funny sounding name. 
And so I want to say that the character Huo actually is actually a, um, a pretty rare last name. And it came from a general to the um, first Chinese emperor. And he was um, a general that one myth has it, right? Um, legends have it that he won many battles um, for the emperor and helped him conquer a lot of land. So in, in China, if I, or in any Asian country that spoke Mandarin, if I said, if I go, what's your name? I'll say Huo, and then I will name the general so that they know who it is. So that is the reference. So people all know who this figure was. He's a, he was a real figure. <laughs> it wasn't a fictitious um, figure. So I, that is my lineage. That is my genealogy, right? But I don't, that gets completely lost here. And that's fine, you know, we're, we're immigrants and I understand and we can't carry everything, but, but it's not just a funny sounding name. And then my name, Li Chen, so Li, there's phonetically in Chinese, Li has two meanings. One is beautiful and the other character means independent. Clearly my parents were expecting a male because I got the independent Li, whereas a lot of the females get the beautiful Li, but my character is the independent Li. And then Chen means soldier or warrior. And so <laughs> I clearly got a boy's name, independent warrior, right? With a last name that was basically the, like the right-hand man, the general of the, um, of the Chinese, of the first emperor of the dynasty. And so um, that's a fighting spirit. <laughs> What an honor to have those, uh, that history to your name. And, and I would argue that you are a, a fighting uh, soldier for, for what you do in medicine and, and some of the things that we'll talk about further in this as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a name that I've grown very proud of in its meaning. Um, and I feel like I've unintentionally grew into it um, just from my life experiences. Yeah. And so this article that you wrote talking about that, I guess, transformation in some way of, of how you felt about your name and growing into it was very powerful. What was your inspiration in, in writing that now? Yeah, that's a great question. So during the pandemic, we saw a rise in all the anti-Asian hate or, or sort of crimes or um, just negativity committed against Asians. And um, eventually, I mean, all of those things were very bothersome. And I, for a while, really wasn't um, dealing with it, if you will. I wasn't processing it. I was sort of ignoring it in the news. Um, it brought back a lot of negative feelings from my childhood. Um, in college, I found other Asians. <laughs> I um, graduated from a class of 200. I was one of three Asians in the class. We also did not have other people of color. We did not have African-Americans in our class and we did not have Latinos in our class either at the time. Um, anyway, so in college, it was almost, a, it was a bright light because I took classes that taught Asian-American history. I took other types of history classes too that um, we're not taught from sort of the main homogeneous lens that a lot of us are taught. Um, we can go on and on about sort of the African-American history and their experience. Um, but for me in particular, I remember learning about, oh wow, Asians have been here since the 1800s. I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a Chinese Exclusion Act. I didn't know A, B, C, D, E, I mean, there's a million things in there um, or information about 
different ethnicities um, within the Asian community, um, such as the Japanese Americans. We did not learn about Japanese internment camps in World War II. And it's not just that, it was like land was taken from them. Their homes were taken. These are people who were born in America to think that the country that you're born into somehow sees you as the enemy. I mean, that's devastating. So anyway, so I learned all these things in college and it was actually a beautiful time um, for sort of learning about my own history, but also the Asian American um, history here in the US. And that's really what's important to me and what pertains to me and the future generations is how do we build all these communities and how do we bridge understanding and how do we all come together? So it was a great time. But after that, I felt as if, and I moved from Michigan to California, I felt as if I knew racism existed, <laughs> but it didn't seem like it was in my face. I didn't, you know, I was an adult, obviously. I, yes, I came across some work things, but I didn't think that it was just the, as ugly as it got during the pandemic. Um, and it would seem just always there. So it basically, by the time that the Atlantic shooting happened, that was sort of the um, catalyst for me to write. I had to process all of this and I didn't know how to do it. Um, I, had a, I had some coaching, <laughs> those were very helpful, um, but I found myself writing to organize my thoughts to, again, to say, what can I do to bridge understanding? What can I do? I'm gonna tell my story. When I actually, when you guys published a story and I put it on my Facebook post, there were people who actually reached out to me that said that I'm so sorry I made fun of your name. Mm -hmm. So it is impactful because I think people sometimes think, well, this doesn't matter, but it does matter with time. And if you hear some things over and over again, you really start to feel, oh, something's not right. Like you start to feel small. Um, so that's what motivated me to write this and then to reflect back on some of the experiences that I've had in my life. I um, mean, again, I think if it's not discussed, people doesn't think that they haven't, oh, you have a great life, you're a doctor. What could possibly go wrong in your life? What are you talking about? Yeah, I agree. It's absolutely important for, for the person who's feeling this and as you said, processing it, to do that for themselves. But then it's also in turn, you know, I want to tell other people about this. I want to be a force to try to intervene with this and to be able to have folks reach out to you and say, gosh, I was wrong. And I, I didn't, I didn't realize, or I did, and I didn't matter, but, but now I'm saying, you know, this is not right. We hope you're enjoying this podcast episode. Let's take a quick commercial break. We don't want to see women doctors burn out. Instead, we want to see them burn bright. That is exactly why we created the Women in White Coats Physician Wellness Program to help women doctors overcome feelings of burnout overwhelm, and exhaustion, rekindle their passion for medicine, and create better work-life integration and more fulfilling relationships. Sister Doc, we invite you to join us in a unique three-month-long journey back to yourself as we dive deep into the root of burnout and help you find more joy and fulfillment in all areas of your life. 
you'll even earn CME. To learn more, go to womeninwhitecoats.com forward slash wellness, and let's burn bright together. Now back to the episode. And I, I would love to hear if, if you're willing, you know, to talk a little bit more about what you see as ways that individuals can get involved in just really starting looking at this unconscious racial cultural bias, um, microaggressions, and then also these overt aggressions that we saw um, this year and have seen at other times in our history. What would be some ways that, um, you know, just one person could start the process of addressing this for themselves and for others around them? Well, I think um, acknowledgement, <laughs> instead of sort of the blinders of our eyes, like, you know, the see no evil, hear no evil, but unfortunately racism does exist. And, um, and I think it's okay to acknowledge that instead of trying to hide from it to say, oh no, this doesn't happen. Oh, that was just a misunderstanding. So I'm gonna share with you a real quick an experience that I had. So um, I'm OBGYN and this happened um, when I first started working on labor and delivery at my job. And um, for those of you who don't know, labor and delivery is a place where women come to get, pregnant women come to get evaluated. Um, and from a work point, when it's not so busy, we all sort of congregate in a middle section, if you will, at a main desk, we chit chat, uh, or we, you know, and everybody's there. Um, the nurses, the RTs, the work clerks, whoever, you know, has a moment down. It is a very sort of fun and social environment when it's not busy and we can all sort of just talk about whatever. And there are many topics that are discussed. So on this particular day, um, I had just come out of um, a room after evaluating a patient and they were talking about plastic surgery. And I didn't hear exactly what the name of the procedure was uh, about how one of the um, workers were considering this procedure. Then I hear another person say very out loud, very clear, it's like, no, don't get that surgery. I had a friend who got that surgery and she's now, her eyes are all messed up. They messed it up and now she looks like a Chinese person and she's just ugly. And I, and I, you know, in those moments, <laughs> You hear about these things and you're always like, what would I do, right? But there was me, I was that person and I was there and I heard it loud and clear thrown out there that this person had equated botched plastic surgery to an entire race of people and how they are normally genetically formed basically. And I was in shock and I felt my heart racing and you know, the heat rise to my face, like, what do I do with this? And you know, I am the physician on, so we are sort of seen as the leader. And so I just, I said to her, I said, what did you just say? Um, in a calm fashion, there's no point in getting angry or anything like that in this situation. And she looked at me and it didn't register what she said. I said, I said her name. I said, you just said that all Chinese people's eyes are ugly. I said, do you think I'm ugly? I said, because I'm Chinese. And I was like, you can't go around saying that. I said, even if it is your opinion. And I said, that's just right. So she laughed it off because I know she was embarrassed um, to whether or not it's because of the statement she made or to be caught like that in front of everybody and for me to 
confront her with that statement and sort of, you know, wanting to hear what she has to say about that. She really didn't have any. And so what can we do? Well, as the if as a person who is receiving these comments, I think one is for the person receiving the comments to stand up and say something. Again, it doesn't have to be out of anger. It could be purely out of just education. Um, and I, I don't believe that every person is overtly trying to hurt someone else with their comments. I don't believe that. And so, but certain comments are just ignorant and you, and unless someone says something, that person will continue to think that or continue to say that without much thought, thought to it. So that would be sort of my advice. Um, and as a person who's saying something about a particular race, especially when you're comparing or just saying an overt statement about any particular type of people, ethnicity, religion, just take a pause. Like, what, what am I saying here? <laughs> And, and just, you know, take a pause before you say it out loud. Now, I'm not here to censor anyone. I'm not here to change anyone's opinion. This person still might think Chinese people are ugly. Doesn't matter to me. That's her opinion, and that's okay. And beauty's in the eye of the beholder. But to say that in front of everybody at a place of work where there are clearly colleagues that are of that descent, of that ethnicity, is insensitive. And that's why it needs to be brought up. And so, and I just want to share, there are other good incidents, like, um, and you say, how can someone help or how can someone, well, learn, right, to be open to certain ideas, to not shut it down completely, listen to someone's story. For example, when I wrote my article about my name, um, I appreciate it when people read it, took the time to read it. They listened to my story, whether or not they want to, you know, internalize that and use that somehow, that's up to them, but I'm just happy that they read it because I got my story out and, and how I really felt. So in regards to the name, sometimes at work, what is so great is I distinctly remember I have a male colleague who would just, once in a while, he would just get livid if someone mispronounced my name. <laughs> he would just say, it's pronounced well, it's not that hard. <laughs> and so he would take out my burden for me, if you will. And let me tell you, on those days, I felt lighter because someone else saw me and someone else stood up for me. And so that burden was lightened. And I, and I can't tell you how grateful I feel for that. So that's, how you, that's how you can be an advocate and an ally. Listen, yeah. right? Yeah, it's just writing those same words down to, you know, just when you acknowledge it, you question it, you educate, yeah. then you, all these people around you see it as well. And they want to stick up for, for, um, for you. And they also want to, you know, make sure that other people are aware. I mean, we're doctors, we're teachers in so many ways. And yep. it just seems like this is a natural um, progression of how we can continue to lead and to educate folks as well. Yeah. And then you, you also mentioned um, the situation growing up is not really learning the history of, of some of the, the cultures and uh, knowing a whole lot about one culture, but not the other. Right. Um, what role do you see that education piece more um, systemically playing in helping with these uh, microaggressions and unconscious bias? Right, so um, we can do one or two things, right? I have educated my kids um, to say, you were born in this country, you have every right to be here. Um, because of what I learned, I've taught my 
um, my kids and any chance that there is any sort of documentaries like on PBS, there's recently documentaries on Asian Americans, I take a chance to tell them to watch it. So they themselves need to be educated Asian Americans ourselves, right? But the other big problem I feel like is this currently our education system is taught from one lens and one view, the dominant race and how history, because our history could be really ugly and it is. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's, we need to be honest with that history. When I was, wasn't taught about any Asian American presence during any of the major events in the US history, for example, when we learned about the civil rights, um, about MLK and Malcolm X, I honestly wonder, I was like, where are the Asians? Like, where were we? Were, the, were we here? And I really just came to my own conclusion that no, none of, none of us were here. I don't know where we were. You know, when, this, when you learn about the South and all the conflicts there, I, I did, I, I was like, I guess there are no Asians in the South. I guess we just didn't live there. But that's not the truth. The truth is Asians were there. And most of the time they just, in the South anyways, they tried to just stay out of the conflict completely because they were trying to make it on their own. They didn't want to be pulled out of anything. They want to be associated with anything controversial. So they stay silent. And that's part of our, the stereotype is that we stay silent so that we could just sort of move on with our lives. If no one notices us, then, you know, then none of, no bad things are gonna happen to us. But there were definitely Asians who were right along fighting um, alongside of the African-Americans, you know, Grace Lee Boggs was a big um, activist. I mean, our um, VP, Kamala Harris, her mom was at the civil rights um, and she was definitely active and involved. And that's how Kamala Harris credits her with how she got into um, activism. And I think that'd be a really strong, strong start to let the next generation know that Asians that you see, yes, some are recent immigrants, but there are European recent immigrants and no one questions their presence in this country, right? No one questions, where are you from? Why, why are you here? Um, or how come your English is like this? Or whatever it is, right? I mean, there's so many times I've been asked, why is your English so good? Well, why shouldn't it be? <laughs> I've been here, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so I do believe education, if we could, instill that into the K through 12 education system, then everybody will know, all the non-Asian races will know that we've been here all along. There's no sense of others, like that we don't belong, that we're foreigners, that we're, et cetera, whatever it is that we've been made to feel during this pandemic. Um, yeah, I think um, that's a good start, but oh, I, I do wanna tell you about this. So, we have these protests, we have this, these awareness during all of this time. And I think it got the attention of politicians because to make change, we need our legislature, we need our politicians to be involved. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I believe Illinois was the first state to pass um, a law that requires Asian American history teaching in their K through 12 in the elementary school segment or in the, and in the high school segment. What that will look like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's almost just um, a start. And that's all we can do is start somewhere. And I hope other states will follow. And I hope that it's a real change, um, but it is a statement of prioritization uh, shown by the government in that state that yes, we see you. Yes, we see that there are violence here. We see that there is, um, a need for change and a need to educate. 
And that's where we start from a legislature top down, you know, way. Yeah. Yes. As you said, start at home, start in your community, educate others, kind of move up. So where this is, you know, being seen and heard and, and duplicated, replicated, you know, um, all across the different states. So this is, you know, in, in the years coming, this is just a given, you know, there's no, um, there's not this um, opportunity for otherness. It's all, we're all in this together. Absolutely. Oh, I've so enjoyed talking with you. These are so many important um, things to discuss. And I've learned a lot just in our conversation. If there are listeners who want to reach out to you to, to continue this or, you know, just to build on this with you, what's the best way for them to, to reach you at this point? Um, at this point, the best way to reach me is to just send me a private message on Instagram. And my handle is glammama.com. So Glam, G-L-A-M, Mama, M-A-M-A, Doc, D-O-C, sort of summarizes who I am. I love that handle. I'll have to check <laughs> it out. So, Thank you so much for having me. Um, we talked about so many important things. What would be the big takeaways that you would like our listeners to, um, to go home with today? I mean, we focused on Asian American because that's who I am and this is my experience, but I don't believe I'm alone in this experience despite, you know, my Asian is that there are plenty of other ethnicities that probably feel to some degree they can identify with what I discussed here. And I think the most important thing is be open-minded, listen to someone else's story, listen to someone else's struggle. It is not a reflection on you what their struggle is. When they say so-and-so, this race of people did this. I know you didn't do it. So just listen. And that's really what they, what I think I, we all want is someone to just to listen, to understand, to not diminish our experience and to say things like, oh, that's not really true. Oh, you're making this too much. You know, you're overreacting. Um, with a whole lifetime of similar statements being made, I'm pretty sure I'm not overreacting. And so I think that's the biggest takeaway in anything. Um, and any person who is not exactly the same as us, let's listen. I mean, how much can we learn? Look at how much more our lives are, um, are, are richer because of people who are different than us. I mean, how boring would it be <laughs> with the same people all the time with the same views? I mean, I think that'd be boring, but that's my own personal opinion. Um, it's so much more interesting and our lives are so much richer and, um, to be able to embrace other people's story, to hear their experiences, to learn from other experiences. You can't change it probably, and that's okay. But just to be open-minded and say, yeah, I hear you. That must've been tough. Yeah, I could totally see how that would happen. And that sometimes is, is enough. That's the first step. Oh, I love that. And I think that's just, you know, the point of Women in White Coats doing a podcast, doing a blog is just for women physicians and other, other specialists in white coats to really hear the stories um, and be able to learn from that, to take that and just move that forward. So I love that ending of just listen to someone's story, acknowledgement and, and uh, learning going forward. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. Hi there, Women Docs. We hope you've been loving this podcast and feel uplifted at the end of each and every episode. If so, we would really appreciate it if you could give us a five-star rating 
and write us a positive review. Those reviews help us get the word out and help uplift and empower more women doctors. But you know what? We'd love to meet up with you in person. So head on over to womeninwhitecoats.com and sign up to become a member of our supportive tribe. When you do, you will be the first to hear about meetups in your area, as well as upcoming live events. You'll also get our latest blog articles and podcasts delivered straight to your inbox. And you'll be the first to find out about the next time we open up our virtual Doctors Lounge, an online membership community created just for women doctors, where each month we run masterclasses with guest experts and masterminds on topics relevant to women doctors. While you're on our website, womeninwhitecoats.com, order your copy of our number one best-selling book, The Chronicles of Women in White Coats. Oh, and be sure to follow us on social media too. On Instagram, you'll find us at Women in White Coats blog. And on Facebook, you can find us at Women in White Coats. Can't wait to meet up soon.